Hello and welcome. I'm Luke Burridge and this is the show called Luke's Creative Podcast. Normally in these uh, shows I talk to creative people about what they do and why they do what they do and their mindset and uh, behind the creative process and things like that. Um, But this episode is going to be a little bit different because this is the final episode of season one. It's episode 10 and uh, I always thought this one would not be any interview or any discussion or anything like that, but just me talking about what I've been up to in the past few months um, since... I started releasing these podcasts back in May. The idea being me talk, that I would talk about the creative stuff that I've got up to in my different um, in my different hobbies and areas of uh, of interest and creativity. Um, but first, a little bit about the podcast itself. It's been a Good success, I guess. In terms of listener numbers, I've been very happy with it. I just checked out some numbers here. And generally, each podcast has got between two and 3,000 li- downloads, I guess. Let me just check out some of these ones. So in uh, just in July, the episode with John Nation's got 1,897 downloads. Now, I never know how many um, people actually listen to, to uh, the podcast after downloading them. But, I'm, you know, I, I like to think that um, a lot of people do. Uh, there's one from here, which is the um, the David Friedman interview, uh, which was episode number two. That was by far the most popular, I think just because he's got a very popular blog and he linked to it. And so straight away, we got like 2000 downloads of that um, in the first few weeks or something. But, you know, generally, you know, well, maybe not between two, two and three thousand. Um, but I, I, I reckon um, each one of them has been listened to many people. And uh, and I guess people are enjoying it. However, I was a little bit disappointed with the, the uh, small amount of email that I get. I think it's mainly because um, in my other podcast at the moment that I do, which is the uh, uh, science fiction book review podcast I say at the end of every episode hey send me an email and uh, and I reply to every single email that I get and it seems to be uh, that's that's the way that people just get used to getting in contact with me about this um about that podcast anyway but with this podcast there's not been that much uh, email feedback uh, for example I just I just got some one email here uh, from Tom Rowe it says uh, your creativity creativity podcast has been an inspiration to me I've always thought about acting someday and your podcast inspired me to get off my butt and do something so I joined a small theatre group and I'll be in my first place sometime in August I'm having a blast thank you uh, for that I thank you and other people uh, so this is Daniel from the Netherlands, he said, I just listened to the latest one and it inspires me one day to get my not-so-world-class but okay juggling skill to the stage or street together with my other little talents and learn some comedy. And uh, yeah, so it's I know that people are listening to these podcasts and being inspired by the creative people that I'm talking to and about my own creative journey. So I, I guess that's all I really asked for. This was, like I say, very much a personal project. And um, in a way, just for me to uh, to talk to people who I found interesting and uh, and talk to creative people that I admire. And it's been a great success in that way. And uh, I've, since releasing these, I've been looking out for other people to interview or to record discussions with. And, uh, and I found a few people, but... Um, I haven't done them yet. I'll get to them in the future, I'm sure. So, uh, what else do I need to say? Oh, yeah, I was just going to run down through some of the things that I've talked about on these podcast series and, uh, and, and uh, you know, talk about where I'm going with those different ideas. Now, back in... Um, when I talked to John Nations, uh, I, I had a lot of fun. We were talking about comedy and things, and, and we mentioned how difficult it was just to get up and do comedy with with no juggling because um, I find that there's a, it's, a, it's a bit strange, just the idea of getting up and, and standing on stage with no juggling props in my hands or no plans to do any juggling um, would be a little bit a little bit nerve-wracking, if you, if you want to put it that way. So what I decided to do was... Um, 
actually get out there and try some stand-up comedy. So I, I it, there's a stand-up comedy show, uh, like kind of a competition where you get up and do five minutes of material. And uh, so I got up and did the thing that I mentioned, I think back in episode two, when I talked to David Friedman about the this this the, the talk, the sketch about the. Um, about the toilet seat and things like that. And so I did that. And of course, I, I didn't make that many people laugh because it's not, it's, I guess I'm just not that funny when I just get up there and talk. You know, I have people killing themselves laughing, not killing themselves, crying with laughter um, in some of my shows, but that's all physical comedy and it's tied to the physicality. Now, with a, um, with a stand-up show, you can't really do that. So I just got up there, and nobody knew me as a juggler. Nobody knew me as a musician. Nobody knew me as a person who had any skills or any right to be on stage when I'm performing in a um in a uh, a juggling convention I can get up on stage and do sort of stand-up comedy-ish bits but it's part of hosting a show you know so like over the next uh, uh over the next coming week I'm going to be hosting some of the open stages at the EJC which is the European Juggling Convention and there's going to be what two or three thousand people in the audience and I'm just going to get up there with I'm not going to be doing any juggling at all but when I uh, when I start talking, you know, if it doesn't get any laughs, it doesn't matter because people don't have an expectation that I am a comedian and that I would do that. So I thought, okay, do this comedy show. And it went okay. I wasn't that pleased with it. And to be honest, I didn't really feel comfortable on stage just as a stand-up comedian. I think if I did more of it, I would get over that. But I didn't really enjoy the standing up in front of people with just a microphone and just talking for five minutes. I don't like having a five-minute cutoff or a ten-minute cutoff. Um... I need to be able to sort of develop my character on stage. That's what I do to to make myself funny and approachable and likable. And, and with stand up comedy, I I find that the expectation is just I have to be funny straight away. And I'm and I just really didn't wasn't really um, comfortable with that at all. So what I did. Um, Oh, let me take this in a different direction. So music. I was talking about writing songs and stuff like that, and I've always got music um, on the brain, and uh, I've got these different album projects that I'm working on. One is the two-minute pop album, which every uh, song has to be a pop song under two minutes, which I, um, I'm still working on and stuff like that. And I'm you know, do, writing other songs. But what I realize is that all of the songs that I write which aren't entirely serious, which are a bit more jokey, a little bit more jovial or whatever, um, they always get the best reaction. So I started uh, doing some uh, uh, writing a few more of those things. And um, oh, let me put it this way. Before, there was some open stages because I wanted to perform my music a bit more. So there's an open stage in a bar close by to me. And I wasn't doing any comedy songs there to begin with. Um, I was just doing my normal, you know, pop songs, you know, singer-songwriter stuff with me and a guitar. And uh, and afterwards, what happened was that nobody complimented me on my singing and nobody complimented me on my playing. A few people complimented me on my uh, songwriting, but everybody seemed to bring up the fact that me, I was very comfortable on stage and was very fun to watch on stage in the bits between the songs. And that annoyed me, but then I realized, well, that's what I can do already. I'm comfortable being on stage when I can just chat for a while without any expectation of having to be funny. So what I do, because I have like maybe 30 songs or something that I can just play on the guitar straight away without thinking about it, I would just say, uh, so I started with one song and for the next song I just said, hey, what kind of song do you want? Do you want a fast song or a slow song or a song about love or a song about hate, hate or a happy song or a sad song or something? And, uh, and someone, someone would just say, oh, I want a, a happy song um, about hate, a happy fast song about hate. And I was like, oh, I can do something like that. And, uh, and so I could just pull it out and do it. And so I let the audience choose the songs not by what the topic of the song or maybe kind of what the topic of the song was but it was a, it was a fun live performance kind of thing that I can do there 
And that's what everyone really enjoyed. So I realized, well, that's what I need to do. So I need to have that kind of performance. And then in the meantime, do some, instead of just doing some pop songs, but do some funny songs in between. Also, when I was on a cruise ship, uh, yeah, this is all going to tie in together in a second. Uh, when I was on a cruise ship, I saw these guys do a, a show. And there was two guys. They called themselves, um, at the time, Cats and Jammer. I think they've changed their name now. And they, there's two of them. And they play the same grand piano on stage. And it was a really good fun show. They're awesomely talented at, you know, as musicians and very funny guys as well. And I realized, wait a second, what do they have to do their show? They have their costumes. They didn't use the bands. They didn't need to bring any sheet music. They didn't have any sheet music themselves. They just did their show. So all they had was their costumes and a piano, which was of course already there and tuned and ready to go on stage. And every time I go and do a gig, I've got like a box full of juggling equipment. I've got my costume. I've got this hat that I use for one trick and all these different things that I need to carry around with me. And it's always been my dream to reduce my juggling show down and down and down and down and down. Reduce it down and down until I can just do it with some carry-on stuff or maybe just some stuff that I can find in the venue itself and just do a full 50-minute um a juggling show with nothing at all. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do a bit of stand-up comedy, to be able to, be able to do more um, more comedy, like to do like more shows, more uh, maybe to develop it into another show where I can just turn up and do something without any juggling equipment at all. And so I thought, oh well, no, what I need to do is I need to write some more interesting and amusing and funny songs. And, uh, and, that's, and that's the way to take it. So I thought, well, I'll do that then. So I decided to, to write a song about... Um, going on a date with someone who, and all they do is talk about their ex-girlfriend um, or ex-boyfriend. And it was good, and I, and I played it for some people. I had one of the, um, the Lemontown creative meeting people, uh, meetups here um, in Berlin. It was around my house, and uh, before, I'd always just played for them some songs, which were, you know, like my pop songs, and they went down well. And this time, I played this song, and everyone was really laughing about it. So I, I put it up on YouTube, and it got some good responses on YouTube as well. Lots of people were listening, uh, enjoyed the song, and I got quite a few good comments about it. And uh, it was really funny. So I thought, well, what I need to do is instead of signing up as a stand-up comedian at one of these uh, st- uh, one of these stand-up comedy shows, I'll I'll take along my piano or my guitar and I'll do some funny songs, and uh, and I thought, well, this is the key to it. I'll put together a full show worth of funny songs and me being funny while sitting at the piano, and that means I can hide behind the piano. I don't need to, you know, just be standing there with a microphone. In the same way that I can hide behind my juggling equipment on stage and hide behind my juggling skills, I can hide behind my, you know okay singing skills and okay piano skills and but you know and my okay songwriting put them all together into this sort of like passable package and and I'll just be my charming self on stage I know that when I get up on stage I can people just enjoy my personality enjoy my charisma and things like that and then I'll just go for it like that so that was that was the plan and it still is the plan what happened though is when I when I went to perform this um, at, at this uh, comedy show here in Berlin for the first time um, at the comedy at the Sin Bar. It's a, a few weeks ago now. Um, so I set, I was I was going to be performing directly after the intermission after the break. So my piano would already be set up on stage, and I thought that'd be great. I'll just go up on stage and do my thing, and. Um, uh, but then the host of the show, he wanted to do this sketch on stage. So what happened was that he got on stage, did his sketch, and then I came out on stage and had to set up my piano without an introduction properly. And then and then when I was introduced, I sat down at the piano and something wasn't right and the foot pedal was in the wrong place and the microphone was broken and the microphone stand was broken. And immediately I was sort of thrown off from what I wanted to do. So I thought, well, tell you what, I'll just get on with it. I'll just get on with the show and not worry about it. I'll just do my song because I know the song is good. 
And so I thought I'd just rely, instead of relying on my personality and my charisma, I'd just rely on the songwriting and on my piano playing, which I know I can rely on because, and I'd performed it before to friends and they knew that it was, it was a good song. And I was thinking, well, I just need to just do the song. So I did it and I sang the first verse and that was good. And I got some grins and smiles and I sang the chorus and that was good. And then I got to the first line of the, uh, of the second verse and I sang that. And then the second life completely blank. And I just couldn't sing it. And I was like, well, I can't just skip over these lines because I couldn't think of what comes next at all. And I couldn't think. So I stopped and I was like, okay, I forgot the words. Let me try again. And the words weren't there at all. And then I tried again and I couldn't do it. And then in the end, I was just sitting there in silence, not knowing what to do. And and I had nothing nothing prepared. Like when I drop on stage and I'm juggling, no problem at all. I can just do, say something or just pick up and just go back into it and just go straight back into the routine or say something funny if there's, you know, if there's no music playing or whatever happens, I've got it covered. You know, in my juggling show, it doesn't matter if I drop or not, I've got it covered. I know exactly what I'm doing. Here, this was the first time I'd ever performed my music to people who who were just expecting something funny. It wasn't, I was no longer at the open stage where I could do a funny song and people just enjoy it because they're there just hanging out and there is no expectation of, you know, massive amounts of giggles and comedy. They're just expecting, you know, some nice songs and it's an open stage and then you can get up and try something like that. Whereas this was a comedy night where I was, um, you know, I'd been booked to perform there. I even got 10 euros performing in the show and I had nothing to do. So I was just sitting in silence for a while going, mm, and people in the audience were just sitting looking back at me going mm. and I was just like oh shit and I, fin- I finally managed to do it but it was like really really bad I was really really unhappy with it by the end of the song I'd sort of won most of the audience back over and then I did a second song and I had this little um, like physical comedy kind of theatrical bit that I was going to do at the end so I told the host whatever you do don't come onto the stage until I've stood up and I've put the stuff back in my pockets because I was singing a song about my wallet and my phone and my sunglasses and my keys and I, and I was going to do a little thing with them at the end of the song which was referencing what I just sung about in the song this little mime thing this little theatrical thing but of course he totally ignored me uh, or it, it forgot what I said so as soon as I stood up I hadn't actually finished the show and then he suddenly comes on the stage and was like grabs the microphone in front of me and was like hey, everyone Luke Bowers and I was like oh like that so even though the second song was good and it got some good reactions it messed me up so I was messed up at the beginning of the, uh, of the set I messed up in the middle of one of the songs I, I, I took ages to get the audience back on my side if they ever did, did get back on my side and there was people chatting at the bar sort of around the corner that which was annoying me and, and stressing and things like that all the way through and I realized that what I'd done is I'd relied too much. I'd relied too much on the songs. I'd relied too much on my skills as a piano player and as a singer and as a songwriter. And what I should have done is just done one song instead of two songs and established my personality, my charisma, my, my, uh, uh, yeah, my performance um, personality, if you will, on stage first and got people over to my side. And then when I got to the song, they were just going to be into it. So, um, that was that was a really strange thing, and I learned a lot about that. Now, one thing that I talked um, a lot before when I when I talk about uh, when I talk to people about performing, especially about doing any kind of street show stuff, I always tell people, look, you're gonna do twenty bad shows, really bad shows before you, not before you do a good show. You might accidentally do a good show before 20 bad shows up, but you'll have to do 20 bad shows before you understand what you're really doing on stage, how to be an entertainer, how to be performer, how to be funny and all these different kinds of stuff. Everyone who says that they get up on stage, or say, especially on the street shows, anyone who gets up and does a street show uh, are going to fail many, many times before they make it, which is good in a way because it gets rid of all the people who don't really, really, really want to do street shows. But it's bad in 
in a way because there's lots of people who might be awesome at doing street shows but they've had a few bad experiences at the beginning not knowing that they're always going to have bad experiences but the good experiences once they know what they're doing will outweigh the bad experiences and I'd Oh, I've always given this advice to people. Do 20 bad shows and then you'll really know how, what you're doing on stage. And I'd forgotten to apply or even think of this advice for myself. I thought I'd already had 20 bad shows. And now from then on, every time I get up on stage, I'm going to be golden. I'm going to be great. I'm going to be good. And that's true with juggling. I haven't done a bad juggling show in a long time. I, and I keep getting better at performing all the time. But music, I've not performed any music by myself like this for 10 years, well, for ages, you know, I played a lot of music at, you know, in church when I was younger, and then at college I performed in some bands, but it was never just me, uh, you know, in a gig where people were expecting to be entertained immediately, expecting to laugh immediately, um, so, uh, so I think, yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten that advice, and I forgot that I'm going to have another 19 really bad shows like I had that night before I get good and before I know what I'm doing on stage as someone who's performing and doing some funny songs with a piano and comedy with music rather than funny juggling and comedy with juggling and physical comedy like that. And 10 of the shows that I'm going to do before I know what I'm doing are going to be worse than the ones that I did those those few weeks ago at this comedy show. And it's really galling to do to think about that because most performance stuff that I do isn't live except for my juggling. And I, I quite like that. I like not for, for like for the last 10 years, I've been very happy not to do any live performances with my music because I've always had the juggling to 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 fulfill that um that to fill that live on stage adrenaline rush which is very very addictive if you talk to anyone any live performer they'll know that you know getting the standing ovation getting the applause getting the adulation on stage that's very addictive it's a great way to earn a living but it's also really cool um feeling on stage and it's the reason why so many people go back to the stage after giving it up they can't stay away and I've never needed that with my music. My music's always been for me. I've always just put it on YouTube or done something like that. I remember talking um, in the podcast, uh, was it Nat Osborne? I was talking about how he was doing these gigs and he got up and did this gig and he thought he had an hour and it wasn't an hour. He only had 35 minutes in the end and only eight people turned up to see him. And I was like, ah, I'd forgotten about that. I'd forgotten about the very thing that I talked about in this podcast, that I'm going to have to get, have another 20, 19, 20 of those kind of gigs that Nat Osborne was doing with his new project there um, before I, uh, I really enjoy myself on stage. Well, not really enjoy myself, but take take that enjoyment to another level. Um, so what I did is instead of going back to that stage, I went to the... Uh, I went, to the uh, Arkanoa, this little open stage. It's a musician's open stage. That's what I said before, and I performed on there, and I thoroughly enjoyed myself, and the people in the audience were grinning, and there was no expectation that they had to laugh at every second line in the song like you'd have to do with a comedy song. They were just enjoying the music, and there was a lot of people who... Um, German is their first language, of course, because it's a German night, and, and I was singing in English, so a lot of them said afterwards that they found it enjoyable and funny, but at the time they weren't laughing because they were, you know, translating in the head, but then there was this group of people who were English, and English was the first language at the back, and they were laughing all the way through the songs. So, again, I think what I need to do is just relax into this and perform at more music venues rather than at comedy venues and really get people over you know, win people over like with the with the songs and with the personality and, and, and work a bit more on the song introductions or just on my on my manner, how, how I sit at the piano. I need to w work more on looking at the audience as I play and connecting with them. And there was a few people that I could do that with, but I'm still not uh, it, it, in the way that I always start my juggling show off with the Diablo routine. And I do the Diablo, it's because I don't have to look at it. Diablo is very easy compared to even three ball juggling in regards to 
um, having enough time and space within the within the Diablo juggling to look at the audience and connect with the audience. Um, because while the Diablo is on the string, it's very difficult to drop. Whereas with a ball, anytime it's in the air, you've really got to be paying attention to it to uh, to, to not drop it. So that's the kind of thing that I, that I'm that direction that I'm taking my music and also the comedy that I want to do. Although uh, maybe if you listen out in this feed, I might drop in some different recordings of of music and comedy or whatever that I do over over the coming months. Because hopefully I'll be doing a lot more of it. Maybe we'll see how it goes. Anyways, that's me talking about music. And comedy. Another thing, juggling, because juggling is my job. Um, so, uh, on my last contract, I I performed a show, and event went very very well. That was on the first the first night, and then the second show went even better. Probably one of my favourite shows that I've ever done for one reason. I have now been working on cruise ships for over four years, and in my shows, I do normally perform between fifty and fifty-five minutes. And there's lots of juggling in my show. It's not juggling for pure like for solid. 55 minutes or 50 minutes there's probably around about 25 minutes of juggling in any one show uh maybe a bit more actually depending on what i do although a, a big part of one of the juggling routines is me just juggling four balls for a very very long time and that becomes the joke that i'm juggling these four balls for a very long time while an audience volunteer is failing to do anything um but of course the joke always springs back on me in that way but so I'm doing all this juggling and um, the very first time that uh, me and Paula, my ex-girlfriend and performing partner, we performed on stage. Um, I got up on stage and I threw the Diablo up as the first thing that I did in the show and it uh, and it just hit the ground and that was it. <laughs> and I thought, like, oh, the first thing I ever threw up, I dropped straight away. But the cruise director, who is the, uh, who is the uh, boss on board, who is the manager on board of all the entertainment, he didn't see that because he was, he was just introduced me on stage, so he missed that. And then when it actually got to the part with me and Polar juggling together, that time that we ran through our art of juggling routine was the first time we'd ever done it with no drops and with no mistakes uh, and everything was just perfect. And we'd performed the show quite a lot before then, but that first big paid gig that we'd done on a cruise ship uh, was the first time that we ever did it completely um, dropless. And we did it many times dropless after that, but I'd never done my full 50-minute show without any mistakes. And even when I was no longer working with Polar, after the first sort of like eight or nine months of working on cruise ships, I was working by myself and it was all down to me and I could do the whole show without any drops, but I never did. And I got down to one drop so many times and things like that. But on my last contract, I finally managed to, after four years of performing, to be able to do my show with, uh, with no drops at all. Not even a, a wrong-ended club. Well, there are some drops, but those are the choreographed drops that I put into the show um, for comedy and dramatic reasons. Um, but otherwise, it was uh, it was everything was was perfect. No no unchoreographed drops at all, and that um, was a big thing for me. And it's and now it's the next step. It's like okay, now what do I do? Do I have to now aim for two dropless shows in one night? I don't know. I'm but I just keep getting better at juggling, and. Uh, and it's not just that I keep getting better at juggling, I keep getting better at performing juggling. Um, and it always surprises me. And I've, I've mentioned this before, maybe I mentioned this on the podcast, that every time I practice something, I get better. For example, yesterday, I was in, no, two days ago in the park, I thought, hey, I'll, I'll give a go at seven clubs. Now, seven clubs is a very, very difficult trick. And back in 2006 and seven, uh, in the winter of 2006 to 2007, I worked on it quite a bit and got up to 13 catches with seven clubs. And any jugglers listening now are going, no, only only 13 catches. Yes, because 14 catches, each club thrown and caught twice each is sort of like the standard. Before you do that, you can say, oh, I can juggle seven clubs. You go, oh, how many catches? 13. You go, oh, you can't really juggle it. But jugglers know that 13 catches of 
seven clubs is a very, very annoying um, record to be stuck on. But I then got a new apartment with my own juggling studio. Um, this is in 2007 and I no longer had that ceiling height to work on seven clubs very much so I didn't work on it at all and it's the same thing with so many other tricks with like with five club back crosses I just didn't work on that for at all even though I performed five club back crosses in my show I didn't work on it and six clubs I didn't work on or anything um and and then so yesterday uh, no two days ago I gave it a go with seven clubs actually at the French juggling convention I did it a bit as well um, but I was a bit drunk there so yesterday I did it and I got it a few times and then yesterday I worked on it a bit more you know only maybe half an hour or maybe a bit more than that and I got the seven clubs with seven seven catches of seven clubs quite a few times it's called a flash for non-jugglers listening and then I thought well I'll give it a go and I managed to get nine catches pretty easily as well and I'd already mentioned to Declan a friend of mine I, I was talking about um you know, uh, over the winter, I'll come and, and get 14 catches with seven clubs. But I reckon it probably only take me a week or so to get 14 catches with seven clubs, even after working on it. And I think it's all this sort of subliminal work that I do, not by pushing the limits of my technical juggling, but just getting stuff solid, getting my club juggling really solid on stage. And when I was at the French juggling convention, I performed my three ball routine uh, with a video projection thing. You can find this stuff on uh, on YouTube. And uh, so I did that and I made one mistake and did a drop. But then I did my full club juggling routine. This has got five club back crosses and six clubs and lots of tricks put together in very um, fast paced routine and things. And I just did it without any drops. And afterwards, people were saying, oh, well, the, the, the clubs are OK and you didn't drop. Um, and that was good. But the three ball section beforehand was too strong. And I realized I should have done it the other way around. I should have started with the dropless club section and finished off with the three ball section because five club back crosses is impressive. But actually, my three ball and video routine is more impressive to jugglers than the five club back. Probably more impressive to anyone. More entertaining, more interesting anyway. Um, but it felt really good because not many other people, even at juggling conventions, even some of the best jugglers in the world who are there are going to be able to do full routines like that with no mistakes at all. And that makes me feel really good. So that's where I'm at with my juggling is working on on uh, on these routines to get them more and more solid. And there is another routine that I'm working on as well, um, which is the magnet juggling routine. And I was working on that and it's going really well, but then the magnet machine broke and I didn't have time to fix it in time for the French juggling convention. So I decided not to do that. And it's really strange. I was just talking to um, to a friend of mine, Fricks, who she said, uh, she said, oh, I'd like to perform in the open stages that you just see. And I said, great. She said, this is a new routine. I said, it's even better. Great. Good. Let's do it. Um, and then she was really, really stressed out about it for ages. And she didn't have a costume. And she was working as a choreograph- choreography was going well. And then she had to do the, you know, she was getting it, like practicing the skills and trying to get it dropless. And then she thought, nope, it's too stressful because I'm organizing other events at the EJC. And she's got her own stall, her own shop that she's running there as well. Uh, and then she came to, then she decided, she said, like, nope, I'm not going to do it. And suddenly this weight lifted from her shoulders and she suddenly had no stress at all. And it wasn't just this, she didn't have to stress about performing. She no longer had the stress of working on a new routine. And that's what happened to me um, a few weeks ago with the, with the magnet juggling routine as well. I was thinking about it a lot and thinking about it a lot and thinking about it a lot and working on it and working on it. And every time that I wasn't working and I was doing some other juggling, I sort of felt guilty for not working on the new routine. Uh, and as soon as I decided actually, I'm not going to be able to finish this in time for the French convention. I'm just going to like put it off and, and work on it for another show in the future. Again, that kind of 
weight lifts from your sh shoulders and it's not a failure I don't think to, to, to reduce stress in that way because these are gigs that I can do or that was a gig that I could do otherwise and it wasn't a problem for the organizers it was a pity that they couldn't say oh he's doing a brand new routine and all I did was material from you know a few years ago some older material but it's older material that most people in the audience haven't even seen and if they have they you know it's it's fun to see again and I think that's okay with Fricks as well how she's just like no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put all this stress onto me um f f for no reason at all so yeah juggling is going well except the theater shows that I'm working on are, um uh well how do I put it just not um they're not coming on very quickly at all but I keep booking off time to work on them but booking off time in Berlin in the summer doesn't work because in generally I just go and hang out in the park for a while um, so, uh, what else was I going to talk about? Oh yeah, photography. So I took part in the photo marathon in Berlin. Oh, this was another thing that exactly the same kind of thing that I just talked about happened too. I was doing the photo marathon and the idea is that you have to take 24 photos in 12 hours and, uh, which is actually quite a lot because each of the photos has to conform to a single theme to each one has a title and you've got to do the title and then the overall series has to has to uh, go to a, an overall theme as well and this year it was music in the air and um so i started it but i was uh, i was a bit ill um i'd been in quarantine and not sleeping properly and then had to tra did a show after being in quarantine for stomach illness and and then had a travel day and then i got back to berlin and i didn't rest properly and then had to do the photo marathon and i didn't realize how ill i was um but I was very, very ill and yet still trying to take these photos. So in the end, I managed to take nine photographs um, instead of 24. And I enjoyed taking the photographs, but I kept on thinking, oh, what I'll do, I'll just do as many as possible. And then I'll just fill up the camera with, you know, whatever, however many other, like 12 just stupid photographs of nothing. It doesn't even matter. Just, you know, but I will enter. And then in the end, I realized I was too ill, so ill, in fact, that <laughs> which is a bit of confession I actually shit myself and didn't realise I was that ill and that exhausted um, and once I realised that I was like uh, actually tell you what what I need to do is not do this anymore so instead of that I, I and, and as soon as I made that decision suddenly there was no stress at all and I felt really well and I suddenly had lots of energy because I knew that I didn't have to rush to take any more photos for any reason at all not to prove anything to myself not to prove anything to anybody else just I could just just relax and go for it so um, I just wrote the blog post up you can read the whole story and see all the photos on my blog lukebridge.com forward slash blog you'll be able to find it there if you just search for photo marathon um yeah and uh, and that was it so uh photography that was that was a big project that I was really looking forward to since I took part last year and it was a complete failure except it wasn't a failure because I'm very happy with the photographs and I can see how much of a better photographer I am now compared to last year even though I was putting way too much time and effort into the individual ph photographs this year I think they're at each of them is is interesting and the story itself so maybe one day I uh, well not one day what I really want to do is do more of these set projects I don't normally have like a theme of for photographs I, uh, what I do is very much documentary photography I take my camera with me and when something happens in front of me I go click and I really enjoy doing that. You know, I've uploaded a few hundred um, photos from the Berlin Convention and the French Juggling Convention and the Italian Juggling Convention and all these different conventions that I go to. I really enjoy uploading photos and I get lots of comments and um, likes and all that kind of stuff on Facebook. And lots of people want then want to use the photographs as, you know, other jugglers, they want to use them as um 
in promo photo as promo photographs and i got another request for using one of my photos as a front cover of a magazine which is uh, also makes me feel very good it makes me feel that i'm doing well as a photographer um uh, I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. And I just really enjoy doing that because it's documentary. It's like when stuff happens, I point my camera at it and go click. And I think I'm very good at that. I mean, at least I like to think I'm very good at it. I, I do a good job and I get a good response from that. But then there's this sort of planned stuff that I've done when I've done a photo shoot with somebody or and I've been creative in it. I've created the picture and then, or created the image and then taken a picture of it, taken a photograph of an image that I've created um, from my own brain in, a, in, in, a, in the way that I want it to look, in the people in the right place. And I, I think thought it out beforehand and then take the photographs. I think that's more the kind of thing that I want to do in the future with my photography. Um, but then again, in my list of plans and goals for the year um, that I did last year, I didn't have any plans for photography. And that's the thing I, I found that I um, had, I progressed most with, if you want to put it that way, I improved more at photography than anything else. Mainly, may, maybe because it's a, a new hobby, but otherwise it's because I didn't have any expectations on myself and I like to keep my photography free in that way. In the same way that with this music project that I'm doing at the moment, it wasn't something I planned, it's just something that's developed, a, a passion for it has developed since that's why I really enjoy singing and writing these songs which are a little bit more comedic than before, a little bit more quirky, a little bit more based on personal funny experiences and uh, and thoughts. And, uh, and that's very important for me too. So that's that's the way, way I'm going to keep it, I think, with the photography and writing, not have any, um, no, not writing, photography and music. Which brings me to, I guess, the fifth thing that I wanted to talk about after comedy and music and juggling and photography, and that is writing. Over the past few years, I've uh, written quite a few short novels. There's three of them published on my web website. Two of them are sort of in a series, and one which is a standalone, more experimental writing, um, storytelling experiment thing, which you can that you can read. Find them at lukeburge.com forward slash fiction dot html, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, so the writing. And I've done a lot of that. And I thought, hey, writing is something I really enjoy and I have time to do it. On a cruise ship, I always have, you know, a few hours a day which I can spend doing that kind of stuff when I'm not reading or juggling or doing music or podcasting or that kind of stuff. Writing is one of the things, sort of almost a default activity for me. I really enjoy just sitting there with my laptop or with a keyboard and typing away. But in the past year, since last autumn, I guess, I've not really done all that much writing at all. Um, part of it is just being busy, and I had a girlfriend, and now I have a girlfriend as well, which keeps me busy. Um, but here's something which I've not mentioned before, I don't think anyway, is that I decided last uh, last summer at my birthday to start keeping a diary. And the reason for this is uh, different. There's different reasons for this. But one of them was that I was listening to a podcast where, um, where Richard Herring, who's a comedian in the UK that I enjoy his work and his podcast as well. And, and he mentioned that, Oh, I was writing a book and it was really easy to write the book because it was sort of him. It was a book about him turning from 39 to 40 and he says, "Well, I, it was really great to be able to go back and have a look at my uh, have a look at my diary and have a look at my blogs as well at that time. And it was good to be able to sort of sort that out. And I thought, hey, that's really interesting to be able to go back and do this. Now I've kept diaries at different times in the past. Um, when I've been to juggling conventions, I've often kept diaries to keep track of what I'm doing. But I thought, let me see if I can keep a diary for an entire year. So from August the 26th through to August the 26th, I will keep." A diary and that is what I've done 
And it's been quite a big project because every day I've written quite a bit about what I've done, who I've met, the kind of things that I've done, how my shows are going, what I've done creatively. And also my thoughts at the end of it, I always, you know, do thoughts, colon, and then few lines and then write down what I'm thinking at the time because it's often easy to remember what you've done but it's very difficult to always remember what you've thought at the time and the reason for this is that you change your memories I was talking about this a bit more about the on the um on the uh, review that I did of Solaris for the Science Fiction Book Review podcast about having idealized memories of your own motivations for doing something at the time. Like I'm talking about, oh yeah, I want to do this with my music and the reason I want to do this with my music is because of this. Oh, my show went badly because of this and I thought about this at the time. But I'm only thinking that now and if I look back at my diary, probably at the time I was thinking something different or thinking the opposite of what I thought and it was only later that I had these different uh, memories of my own motivations and thoughts. So I thought the thoughts of what I'm doing, the thoughts of what I'm talking about, that's the more important thing. So um, in preparation for... For, for this podcast, I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll see how much I've written in my diary. And if I keep going at this rate, um, the rate I've been going up until August the 26th, I realized that I've, I would have written around about 215,000 words. Now, 215,000 words is, if you don't know, a really it's about the amount of writing that you do to write a really big, chunky novel. Um, not that chunky, but, you know, pretty chunky. That's that's getting on for, what, like 600, 600 pages in a novel? Um, you know, or something like that. I don't know. Um, so I could either written one really chunky novel in the time that I was writing my diary or in the in the words that I've put into my diary, I could have written a big chunky novel. Or if you think, well, okay, diaries I can just write because I'm, I'm not having to come up with stories and characters or something. So maybe I could have written half of that, maybe 100,000 words. That's a decent sized novel. Or maybe I could have written, you know, like the experimental storytelling thing, the, the, the monster story conference and these other sort of experimental storytelling things, which normally come to around about, what, 40,000 words or maybe a short novel that I written like Minding Tomorrow which is about 50,000 words I could written four of them maybe two three or four of those novels in the time and that is of course the reason I realize why I've not done much fiction writing over the past year I've done bits and pieces and I've thought a lot about it and I've developed some story ideas and I've made lots of notes and I've written bits and pieces but like not actually sat down and did like an hour of writing every day which is what I'd normally do like in an hour I could knock out maybe a thousand words and that's what I realized I've been doing now with my um with my diary I've spent you know, not an hour a day writing my diary, but maybe, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes a day writing the diary. And it's because it's like unconsidered writing. I'm not thinking about what I'm writing beforehand. I just type, type, type. I'm writing very quickly and typing very quickly. And uh, so that's where my writing um, energy has gone to into my diary. However, I don't think the diary is worth it. It's been really good. It's been a really good discipline, writing discipline to write something every day. But unlike say Richard Herring who wrote something every day and posted it in a blog and he's now been keeping a blog for I think around about eight years or nine years a daily blog and he's not missed a day for nine years that's like an achievement and it's a promotion for him and it's a it's more than just diary it's it's you know it's him he calls it warming up so it's him coming up with comedy ideas that he can write about you know as so if he writes thoughts every day it makes him think as a stand-up comedian and then he can put it together in his show and now when he was developing his new show for Edinburgh the Edinburgh Festival he he was uh, he would write in his you know he would just go back over his blog and find the blog post he had written about that subject that he wanted to talk about and find immediately funny things that he can say and my diary just isn't like that at all 
and I'm not saying it's worthless. I think writing down my thoughts on different topics and what I've done is bit, it will be interesting. But I don't think it's worth me um, going back over in the future, going back over this diary for anything. You know, so I want to write a book about me turning, you know, my the year that I was 30. I mean, is that going to be interesting to anyone? I don't think so. I'm not going to get a book deal about me turning 30. I mean, Richard Herring got one because he wrote a, he had a, a show called Oh Fuck I'm 40, and it was a you know a successful show, and, and he's a successful author already. But for me, this isn't going to be interesting in the future. It's not going to be interesting. It's not helpful. It's been very helpful for me at the moment to decide about different things and you know the different relationships that I've had with people and talking about that. And I, you know, I, I've no, I've got to know myself a lot better, and I've developed as a person a lot more as I've been writing this as I've been writing this diary but in the end it comes down to okay what do I want do I want a diary or do I want to write a novel because I could have written two novels in the in the time that I was writing this diary in this past year so what I'm thinking of doing with my diary is not continuing it for another year I'll do it up until August the 26th until my birthday and um, and finish it and that means it will free me up with it in my brain and some of my time to be able to um to be able to write more and get back to fiction writing. There's so many different things that I want to write and I'm just not getting to it. Um, so, yeah. Final thoughts. There's a, um, a podcast, I think I mentioned this before, on... Oh, maybe I've only mentioned it in my diary. Maybe I've just written it there. Anyway, there's a podcast called Back to Work by Dan Benjamin and Merlin Mann. And it's very interesting. If you're into it, it's about working, but really it's about creativity and about doing knowledge work and creative work in, in different ways. And uh, and it's really enjoyable. Um, uh, Merlin Mann is a, a comedian. Well, not comedian. He's a writer and uh, and speaker. And he has a podcast called you look nice today, which is another very interesting and very funny uh, comedy podcast. So I started listening to this one, and and it's and it's very good. And it and it mainly comes always comes back to okay, if you want to do something, what's stopping you doing it? What tool don't you have now, which you might get in the future, which will make you create something better than you can do now? And it comes like in the first episode, they were talking about why they were doing this podcast, and it came down to a conversation that they had was when. Merlin was just shouting at Dan saying, what can't you ship? What can't you ship? And the idea of being like, what can't you do now that you could do tomorrow or that you're putting off to tomorrow? Or, and it's different ways of thinking about this. But And then it always comes back to sort of like first, you know, you, where you need the tools and you need the mindset and all that kind of stuff. But before all of that, you need to want to do something. And before you want to do something, you need to care about it. And it doesn't matter how much you think about writing or how much you think about doing creative or think about writing songs or thinking about being a juggler. Unless you really care about doing something, I mean, you really, really care about doing something, you won't do it. And, you know, and another thing that they say is that you never need to put time in your diary or everything to set time aside to masturbate or to eat chocolate it's just something you do it's because you there's what you do and that's that's the same thing with me with music i don't need to put time aside to write music and to play music it's just because it's something i love to do and the same with juggling i really enjoy juggling so when i'm not juggling and i'm not haven't done it for a while i don't worry about it because i know that i'm going to get back into it a few days later and find that spark find that passion come up with a new trick come up with a new routine idea come up with new jokes or new introductions for the routines in my show and things like that and the photography I don't need to worry about photography or like make time for it because I'm just like hey photography there's interesting things in front of me and I want to capture them on camera and I want to share those images with friends on Facebook and on my blog and and print them out and hang them on my wall and things um 
yeah, and with comedy, I realized that, ah, oh, I'm actually having to work at the comedy, the stand-up comedy. I realized that it's not something that I would just do naturally. So that's something I had to put aside. And another thing which is very hard for me to admit to myself is that I've got this big show with this big rotating room. It's called the, uh, it's called the Room Show, and you know, it's a working title. And I was th- I've always been thinking, this is going to be my next big project. This is going to be something that I really enjoy working on. I have enjoyed working on it, but I realized that all of the time, like nothing else that I work on, be it a job, like working on cruise ships, which I love doing, or other hobbies like music, which I also enjoy doing and writing and all this kind of stuff. I never need to make time for this. It just happens anyway. I never need to set myself goals. That's what I never understand about, you know, like if, if if you listen to podcasts about writing, it's all about, well, what's your workflow? How do you do the writing? How do you make time for the writing? How do you find the inspiration for the writing? What do you do that? And I'm always thinking, well, you don't really need to do that. As long as you're motivated by a story and motivated by ideas that you really want to share with people or really want to get down on the page you can just do it and I've not really had that trouble with writing I've kept track of what how much I write but that's more just because I'm a nerd I keep track of how many hours I juggle and how many drops that I do on stage keeping track of stuff is just what I do um but most people, when they get to writing, it's sort of like a, it's a chore for them to even sit down and start writing or to start many of these different projects um and I realize that's what's happening now with my theater projects for the future, which is a pity because I've got this massive apartment here. And one of the reasons why I want to keep my apartment is because of the training space and the space that I have there to work on new shows. And it's great to be able to juggle anytime I want. I don't need to go to a training space. I don't need to worry about the weather. I can just juggle. And I do. But then there's this, there's this big, it's sitting there at the, end of the, at the end of the hallway. I mean, at the end of the juggling studio right now, just grinning at me. This massive big thing with this, this stage which revolves around. And I've hardly worked on it all year, even though it was one of my main things that I wanted to do. I took lots of time off in the spring and I was like, okay, in the spring, I'll I'll take two months off. I pretty much took two months off and I'll work lots on the uh, thing. And I I did a bit, but, um, but really what I did in most of, in most of April and May is that when I had free time, I'd go to the park and hang out with in the park with other jugglers <laughs> and uh, and juggle and then when I wasn't doing that I would go out on dates with friends and go out on dates with girls and go out for dinner and all the different stuff that you can do in a big city like Berlin with lots of stuff going all the time and lots of friends around all of that totally got in the way of me working on the show and that's what I come to realize after, I mean, a lot of the stuff that they talk about in this Back to Work podcast is stuff which doesn't really apply to me or stuff that I've already got sorted and stuff that I've already worked out myself as a creative person who, uh, you know, and someone who's self-employed and has to rely on my, very much rely on my own skills and my own selling ability of my skills to, to keep getting work and to keep doing a good job at what I'm doing and to be passionate about a job. None of that's too much of a problem, but it came down to this realization that if I have to schedule time to do something for myself, it means that I might, it might not be the thing that I really should be working on doing. Like I say, all these other things I don't have to schedule for myself. I was working on this theatre project, even though I keep telling myself it's what I want to do. It's really, it's like writing a novel. Nobody really wants to write the novel. Nobody likes the writing process, but everyone likes to have written the novel once it's finished. And I think this is it as well. I really want to have finished the show and have performed the show. But just to get there, it's too much work for me. And I'm always stalling because it's too much work for me. And it's been really difficult to actually admit that over the last few months that this this show is too much work for me and I need someone else. I need to employ someone else. I need to find someone else to collaborate with who is also as passionate about it as I am, but isn't just as passionate about it as I am. That Maybe if I pay them, they'll be as passionate about it. I don't know. It'll be difficult to find someone like that who I can just say, look, give me two hours of your time for the next two hours, three hours a day of your time for the next month and let's work on this together and let's actually get something done. 
And that's the kind of thing that I need to be able to do. And that's the thing I, I, I'm going to do now. I say I'm going to do it in October. <laughs> I'm going to take all of October off and I'm not going to do anything in October. I might go away for one trip as a, as a holiday, but generally what I'm going to be doing, I say that now I'm going to go away for a trip. See, I don't need to make time for trips as a holiday. I don't need to make time for my girlfriend that I have at the moment it's because, yeah, of course she wants to come over and say that. No, it doesn't matter. I won't juggle for a week. You know, I'll just spend time with the girlfriend. No problem at all about that. But this I'm having to go, right, I'm going to put aside this money and I have the money set aside and I have the time set aside. But when it gets to the time when I want to spend the money, the money is just piling up in my bank account and I don't have anything to spend on. This is all I'm spent saving my money for is this new theatre project. And I have the time, I have the money, I have the opportunity, but I guess I just don't have the desire to, to push myself, to push over that next hump, if you will, to push over that next, that big thing, that big bit that I need to push. Anyway, it's been an interesting few months. Hopefully you've enjoyed this very rambling podcast. I actually had only five notes for this, which was comedy, music, juggling, writing, and photography. And hopefully I've made a slightly interesting show talking about my process and some of the things that I've learned over the last few months. Maybe I haven't, I thought I'd be referring much more back to the interviews that I did in this podcast and I actually listening back to some of the interviews as I've been releasing them. It's been very interesting and, uh, and informative. And, and I've, really enjoyed listening back to the interviews because after recording them, I edited them and then they sat here for a few months, uh, six months, eight months, 10 months in some cases. And it was really good, fun listening to them again. But I think I've actually learned more um, over the past three months that I've been releasing these podcasts um, just from life in general and just actually by getting out and doing something. I think as it comes down to it, like when I was talking about the comedy, how I really learned about the comedy and how I didn't really want to be on stage just as a stand-up comedian was by doing it, was by trying it. And with the music, how I found out I wanted to do that, you know, is just by doing it. And by the juggling as well. It was by doing the dropless show and, and, and working on new material. That's how I find out about it. And the same with the photography and the writing. I didn't learn, well, I do learn a lot from talking to people. But when I talk to people, especially with these podcasts and just in general, when I talk to people, it, I do learn stuff from them. But mostly it clarifies thoughts which only exist in my head, even though I don't know they exist in my head. But it clarifies processes that are in my head which are only placed there by doing stuff physically doing stuff and no matter how much I talk to other people I think that's what it comes down to more and more is that when you hear something and you think you've learned it it's probably that you probably haven't learned it new for the first time it's just resonated with you because it was what you needed to hear because it was already in your head and I think that's what I've had so much with this podcast project and with talking to other people things resonate things clear up in my head the things that I really need to hear. And that's what it comes down to with this um, this Back to Work podcast and all the ones that I've been releasing now. Um, yeah, it's strange, but that's the way it goes. So anyway, 50 minutes later, I'm going to finish up this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode, please email me, luke at juggler.net um, and check out the the, the, the archive there on lukeburge.com forward slash creative. You can check out my other podcast at the Science Fiction Book Review podcast. You can just Google that, sfbrp.com. Um, you can uh, you know find everything on my website, lukeburge.com forward slash blog or just on my website itself. Um, so, uh, and that's it. Thanks a lot for listening, and hopefully I will. there will be a season two of this. I'm not saying when. It may be six months. It might be two months. It might be eight months. It's just I'm going to collect interviews over the next few months and, uh, and discussions and other creative ideas. I mean, one thing that I was thinking of doing, just as a quick side note here, is instead of doing a daily diary, mainly doing a weekly podcast and sticking it in this feed here uh, and just as an update of what I've done creatively and what I've been working on with photography, music, juggling, writing, 
you know, podcasting, comedy, whatever. Um, and I'll and I'll put out into that feed things that I've been doing. So like a like the soundtrack of a mu- some music that I've been working on, or maybe a video, or some photography. Talk about some photography that I'm doing, different trips that I'm doing, work that I'm doing. So maybe I'm going to do that instead of a in d- daily diary. I might put out an, a weekly audio log of my creative output. Maybe that'll be interesting. Maybe it'll go in this feed. Maybe I'll make a new podcast feed for it. I'm not sure. Uh, email me, lukeadjuggler.net, if you think that would be an interesting thing. It'll be like this podcast that I've just recorded, but instead of looking back over three months, it'll look back over one week and only be five minutes or 10 minutes long. So that's the idea. Anyway, I'll catch you next time. Thanks a lot for listening.